0: Um, it's Joy and Lindsay with Meet Me in the Middle, and we have our special, most favoritist guest with us today, Roger Martin, my BFF and main squeeze, and...
1: And Ronald Pollard, my BFF.
0: Yeah. <laughs> We've been collectively married, um, oh gosh, 60-something years.
1: <laughs> That's,
2: right.
0: That's right. That's scary, right? Yes. Um, Alright, so if you didn't hear the first episode, we talked about Black Lives Matter in a way that was real and authentic and um, you need to know the real root of it because you hear a lot of mixed messages and um, we went right to the source (laughs) and got the word. So, but now we talked about Black Lives Matter now. you know what? We're gonna we're gonna just touch. We're just gonna jump right into that subject of white privilege. Um, you've probably heard um, that talked about. You've probably heard some people throw that phrase out. And uh, we're gonna since we're the white people, we thought we would do <laughs> we would deal with that one. And uh, Lindsey and Ronald can uh, point some questions at us. But I want to tell you um, one thing that we want to kind of approach is um through this episode is what are things that as african-american people um are important to you for us white people to a know or even um talk about and um phrases that we maybe aren't very helpful to use or whatever but That'll be all mixed in with this. But um, I'm going to turn it over to Roger. Roger's got some good words. Um, a book that's kind of been on his heart that's coming out now, because now it is, called Blinded by the White. Um, talk to us about that, Roger. Tell us where that came about for you.
2: Well, disclaimer. <laughs> disclaimer. It's, it's not on the verge of coming out. It's an idea. It's there's notes and I've done a pretty decent amount of research, but yeah, Blinded by the White, uh, something like uh, the history of the roots of racism in a good kid in a nice Southern city. Mm. Um, So it's about my own family story and the city Chattanooga in which I grew up as a child. Um, and, And at some level, right, it's gonna deal with the white world in which I lived, which was very privileged and had advantages, but I was clueless about that. So, um, but I, I guess the word that I think that's important, because I know still a lot of my white friends, the, the, the idea of white privilege, oh, that's, mm, that's the concept. And, and I think part of that is, you know, well, that's suggesting that we didn't earn what we've gotten and, and we, that we, you know, um, and uh, the way I tend to describe it is when you talk about privilege, maybe I'm thrilled with that term, but what we're saying is advantage. I had advantages that um, I had no idea that were related to the, the color of my skin. Um, it's funny. So I, if I'm just talking about just examples, this was, and then looking back, there's just, it, it showed up everywhere. I remember 16 I went to get my first job right and I go inside unseen to a store talk to a guy I get hired on the spot right and I'm just thinking this is all oh, nice kids you come in you get it you know get a job right away it would piece things together late late later but every manager looked like me most of the employees looked like me um And I would realize it wasn't until I was age 27 Mm. that I would ever work for someone who did not look like me. The first 20, you know, so the the first 11 years of my work history, um, I went to school. Um, So um, I was in school in Chattanooga, third and fourth grade in public school. In fourth grade, I had a black teacher. in fifth grade, my parents moved us to a private school. I would never have a black teacher ever again at any point of my high school, college, seminary. Um, so this means every teacher I had knew my culture, I knew the lingo, knew, knew the experiences. We were all on this, um, had no clue. Well, of course the kind of advantages um, that that creates. We moved, my parents moved us to a private school when I was in fifth grade, what? Because we could. There are all kinds of other parents that would have liked to have maybe a different school situation than the one I was in, even in fourth grade, they're looking um, that we could do that. We could buy house, My, my family, my parents did not make a lot of money, but we got a home loan. Like that. <laughs> Remember when we moved again? So it's like my fifth grade year when this whole a low, kind of a low thing. interest home loan too. What's that? A low interest home loan. Oh yeah, no problem. Um, and we could move. And here's what we moved out of that neighbor near that neighborhood near that public school because we could, and we moved into another neighborhood. Um, I would only later learn. Um, oh, uh, there's this thing called redlining, which happened in Chattanooga. And you, certain people could not buy in certain neighborhoods, but I read a question about that. Moved into a new neighborhood. Um, never anybody looking at as funny, you know, what, where, uh, um, do you belong here? Those kinds of things. I've realized that almost every time I've been stopped by an officer of the law, he or she has looked like me. Um, I realized, um, Even where I learned, again, growing up, when we talk about advantage, again, why we take that as an insult, the reality is, in Chattanooga, during my lifetime, okay, so when I, um, uh, black brothers and sisters couldn't eat in restaurants, so it meant the parents of the kids I grew up with, um, those managers of my store, They couldn't eat, they didn't even eat in restaurants and movie theaters and one, We're talking about my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Um, So you think about the kinds of advantage, disadvantages created. So the parents of the kids, when I went to school, couldn't use the public library. They could not go to UTC Chattanooga. They were not permitted. Are we gonna say there was no dis, you know, there's no disadvantage? My parents, Mm -hmm could go to any university they wanted to, and yet the black kids that I might have run into in fourth grade in my school before I was shipped off to a white private school, well, those parents, just, they couldn't go to the library because it wasn't open to them. They couldn't go to UTC, our nat- our, uni- our university in town, because it wasn't open to them. In your lifetime? Yes. Now, I mean, it changed. Here, what I'm talking about in my lifetime, I was very young when they finally, okay probably four or five years old, when they first began, you can imagine with some slowness, admitting people of color. I, I, so my world was filled with advantages um, and, and the term privilege is appropriate. So um, I guess that's just a, a sort of part of what I'll be unpacking in a book where i learned just how many advantages i had that i was clueless about at
3: at some point what we're talking about and thank you for sharing roger for me uh at some point man we really have to look at the awareness of that you can only be aware of that when you see when you contrast it to what others are dealing with Right. right So you can only be aware that I'm in a bubble when you see outside the bubble. Right. Or, you know, I'm, I'm walking down this track and me and my friends in Chattanooga are going this way, but I see these kids that are Black or Hispanic, and in this case Black, going this same direction, but they can't walk the same path I walk. Yeah. Yep. My path is straight, they have to walk around curves, uphill, mm. in yeah. and out of the bushes. To get to the yep. same schoolhouse, yep. and and it's and it's and it creates an entitlement, or it seems like it. Again, we're no sociologists; we don't. We, this is just something that we've observed.
0: The observation.
3: It seems like it creates. Well, why aren't you? Why can't you? Why don't you feel? Um, I know we gotta wait till section three for this. <laughs> what? what do you need to do now, what what needs to happen now? Because you think about that, Roger, while you were dealing with that, um, the same black kid was just as smart, just as intelligent, just as gifted, just as talented, just as insightful, but not given the same opportunity. Right. Right.
1: And you know what's interesting is when you talked about being shipped off to a private school, my parents did not earn a lot of money at all, um, but they believed in Christian education, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so the one school that was um, that they chose to send us to was predominantly white, mm-hmm. um, and so we we there were bomb threats because mm-hmm. there were black kids attending this school we had bomb uh-huh. threats all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So
1: think about being in. High school so is or elementary school this is california this is san diego california wow and you think about there's not a big push or not a big there, there's no hbcus there there are no establishments corporations or whatever that are black so you're never getting that that affirmation you're never getting that wow. support wow. being wow. an african-american on the North. west coast in okay America. time out
0: you said HBCUs, right?
1: Yes. Okay, yes.
0: do you know? I didn't know until just a few years ago what that meant. So tell everybody what that meant because you can't even believe the things I don't know and I didn't know I didn't know, you know? But I mean, the simple thing like that, tell them what that means.
1: Historically black college universities.
0: Thank you, mm-hmm. thank you. Okay, carry on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so i mean imagine i mean we grew up and it was like we were told you have to be two times better than the white kids yeah. you have to work two times harder than the white kids um you can't speak slang. This right. was from my parents you can't speak slang you have to speak proper english because
3: of those disadvantages because of those
1: disadvantages
3: right. because you
1: don't want to sound too ghetto because yeah. then you're you're more you're you're even more at a disadvantage so mm-hmm. we not only got it from the white kids at school and got mm-hmm. the word, but we got called Oreos from the black kids at school because we sounded too white.
0: Oh, you got it from both wow. sides.
1: We got it from both sides. We got yeah. it from both sides. So we, we did a lot of um fighting. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> with the white kids and the black kids we did a lot of fighting because we were we were a lighter skinned lighter hued black family
0: right wow
1: so we we caught it from and then my parents caught it from the adults whether they were white or whether they were black Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so when you're talking about white privilege Mm -hmm. and and i and i thank you so much for sharing that roger because um and joy, because you know there there are things that, and I, I think I might be hijacking your question, but um, there are things that that white people need to know, right, to be more culturally sensitive. First of all, mm-hmm. I think there needs to be an interest, a a, a sincere desire, and interest, because mm-hmm. to ask my black friend is not good enough. Right, you right. need to do your research, just like you're researching your hometown. You know, right. but and and I know that that might be part three, but but it's still it's still relevant. It's still relevant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was when I was at that same school, white kids would come up and touch my hair. Oh, okay. feel like, it feels like cotton. Ooh, it's so <laughs> soft. You <laughs> <laughs> get it that way, and never got that from the black kids because. Like you said, Roger, you were around all your same white teachers. You knew what it felt like. You didn't have to explain anything.
3: Right. Right. You right. always right. have to
1: explain right.
3: stuff. And that's, right. and that's what I want to kind of piggyback on that Lindsay is saying, because white privilege mm. has white magnetism. Mm. white standards, mm. white yep. entitlement, yep. white why is an angel's food cake white? Mm. Why is a devil's food cake black? Ooh! Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, pollard. <laughs> I mean, pollard. But, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but understand what white privilege has yes. done. Yeah. Yeah. But white yeah. privilege has said to everybody else, now watch this now. White privilege has said to everybody else, you're not beautiful unless, as a model, you're a size two or zero, and you're right. five and five. Look at what white privilege has done to the world of fashion. Mm. Look at what white privilege has done to getting a home loan. Yep. Look at white, what white privilege has done to being able to be engrafted into this community. Mm. You have a, a white privilege says that you have to have X amount of dollars to meet our standard. Right. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Well, because right. white privilege, white, yeah, white is setting the standards that right. white, the the majority community is setting the rules. Here's how things work around here. It's the game. And, of the, it's the white man's game. Yeah.
3: Systemically, it's systemically and intentionally um 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 put in and um 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 instilled, installed mm-hmm. at different length, levels of society and in our world. And oh, yeah. so see people, if you if you who said, who said? That corporate is a navy blue suit with a white shirt and a yellow tie.
0: Yeah, who right. said that? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so who said that?
0: Right, I keep hitting my I table say, and bouncing our like screen.
1: that uh, this little black girl um, capitalized off of people touching my hair. <laughs> oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. go. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> <I> realized, capitalized.
2: <laughs> yeah. You can there touch you my go. hair, but there's a price <laughs> as a,
3: quarter, as a quarter attached
2: but, but oh you know, you
0: go. good think, for you
3: I think Roger, right. you, you you highlighting what it was like for white privilege is also yeah the close cousin of white entitlement yeah. you know? uh, and the the land that was built off of slave owners back mm. so it was built by black people mm-hmm white people Mm -hmm. from all parts of Europe and the world when they came here, the Mm Polish, the um, Hungarians, Mm -hmm. people from all the Sicilians, the Italians, from all Mm -hmm. over the world, Jews, white folk, Mm -hmm. black folk came here, Mm -hmm. the Native Americans. We built this country. Nobody is indigenous to this place except the Native American. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's indigenous to this place except the Cherokee, and the, the, the tribes, the Blackfoot that have been all but wiped out. Okay? Yeah. Right. And, and what Mr. Floyd's death has yes. done, it has <laughs> awakened in us yeah. the, the white privilege piece that has yes. been existing in my lifetime for at least 55 years. Because mm-hmm. how many white people do you know that you've seen on TV who've had that knee, somebody in their knee on their mm-hmm. neck? Yeah we have seen white folk have machetes waving them at cops and they still go home that night.
1: There was something on Facebook that um, I was watching the other day and I can't remember which city it was in, but there was a march and mm-hmm. there were all of these white men and women lined up to the left of them, to the left of the march with, with their rifles, with yes. their shotguns, yes. with their... Um, um, Ruger's or whatever. A court, a peaceful it was a peaceful protest. The okay. cop was sitting right there at the end, and it was a quiet protest as well. Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was this smug look. There was this smug look on the faces of all of the white men and women, and the young black boy that was holding "All Lives Matter." I mean, Black Lives Matter. He turned around and he just looked at them and then he turned back around and they said, oh yeah, that was good. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was good. But, my, but I told Ron, I said, so if there would have been a lineup, if, let's flip it. If there would have been a lineup of
2: black people with guns. Armed. Right. Armed. With the yeah, that's going down <laughs> differently. Even if they had a right to carry? Yeah,
1: yeah. Would they have been standing there peacefully? Well, you had a white protest?
2: Yeah. Right, I think you even had the same thing in Minneapolis where you had white guys with guns, we're gonna come protect storefronts, whatever. But bearing arms out, you know, Mm -hmm. um, look past that, nothing to see here, that's safe, that's fine. But the firearms in the hands of someone else Mm -hmm. are somehow dangerous now. Mm -hmm. They are, that's threatening. Um, it's, uh, yeah, so again, this notion, even that somehow, well, we might have had some of those things in the past, but we're past that all now, you know, we're all beyond that there aren't those stereotypes anymore, uh, as uh, Black's more dangerous, or, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen in the very news, in the very protests, even how some of the protests have turned out a bit here in Huntsville, where you've seen that element of, even a couple of terms that have been used of those protesters and, um, you know, acting like animals and, and just some phraseology where you're saying, you're saying, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's, it the, the very thing we're talking about here, we're s- seeing it. It's almost like it's just, it's, it's, it's being reinforced in the very scenes that we're seeing on on television almost every day in the last week. It is the most uncomfortable
3: conversation for white America to have. Mm-hmm. White yes, America does not want to have. See, white America does not want to have the discussion of its original sin. Its original sin, white America does not want to take responsibility for. And it wants to, wants to live its cushy, bubbleized life and not say, you know
2: what? We were wrong, yeah. we've been wrong. Amen, amen. By the way, amen. America's amen. Original Sin <laughs> is, is an actual book that you should buy and read, Jim Wallace, um, and you're, amen. you know, nailed it. The no, there's an actual book, oh. America's Original Sin. It's, yeah.
3: Uh, Ca- I'm getting Ca- into segment Ca-
2: three as well, but that's Dr. Cornell. Dr. Michael
3: Eric Dyson, Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, these are people who can tell you, a lot of people look at these men as opportunists, but they're, but they're speaking truth to power.
0: Yes, truth to power, that's a truth word. Power. Mm-hmm. And
3: so it takes a, a Mr. Floyd situation
1: mm-hmm.
3: to make America realize that we're not great again. Mm. We've always been racist. Mm-hmm. We've always been racist, <laughs> racist and systemically racist.
1: Yes, and for and you know, and 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 I was listening to um the president of the United States talk about uh the the um insurrection act of
2: 1807.
1: Okay, and I was just like, You're kidding me, you're gonna pull that one, you're gonna pull. I mean, because it says in it that he has the power, it gives him the power um to to bring in like extra reinforcement police and all the other kind of stuff is um um like lawlessness um insurrection and rebellion and i'm just Mm -hmm. like like, you're taking me back to an era that i didn't live in (laughs) that
0: we don't want to live in ever ever and you know it's funny you said that about al sharpton um we were listening to the funeral um, message by uh, George Floyd's funeral and uh, Al Sharpton gave the eulogy. And both of us, Roger brought it up first. And I remembered when we were growing up, um, names like Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson or Jesse, yeah, Jackson. um, They were, you know, it's like, to us and in our world, um, I think we had been kind of taught that well, these people are kind of stirring up trouble.
2: Mm-hmm. No, it, it's to work. No, what I what dawned on me, I'm listening, I'm listening to Reverend Sharpin talk. Can I say, first that? of all, even I'm listening and I'm getting this little negative feel in me, mm-hmm. and I realized that has roots all the way back to my white world. And it dawned on me as I was listening to him,
1: wow,
2: every significant black leader, we neg- we had a negative stereotype. They were opportunists, they were agitators, mm-hmm. they were troublemakers, they were womanizers. They, and it, it dawned on me as I'm sitting there watching, I'm saying, there was not a single black leader that wasn't disrespected, that wasn't, there was something, and I was that was a part of our narrative. And I even still felt that little, of course I'm listening to Reverend Sharpton and it's, you know, he's speaking this, powerful powerful word um but i realized that literally i was engaging once again this whole idea and i wasn't realized it wasn't just one black leader it was all of them anyone who had any influence all right that it it pains me but i'm still seeing in fresh ways literally yesterday i'm still feeling some of that how powerfully ingrained that is
1: what was the rub though what was the rub for you what was the rub for you
2: well, the rub was right because um, I know this uh, opportunist, right? This is a guy who's just looking for. So it was a way of delegitimizing anything he had to say. Same thing with Jesse Jackson, whatever. There was always some negative where we could dismiss anything they had to say. Not going to listen to that person um, because. Um, yeah, because of fill in the it, blank, there was always something in the blank.
0: So yesterday wasn't the rub, it was just oh, right. a an age old- Historic, historic prejudice. So he didn't say anything yesterday that would like- Oh rub, yeah, there, no. No, he was speaking truth. No, it was-
2: It was was powerful and
0: we were right on it. It was powerful
2: and it actually was going against the narrative because um, another narrative was, well, the, you know, those black ministers um, aren't really into Jesus and the gospel. They're just about social issues. They're not really about even true followers of Jesus. Not even true followers of Jesus. I'm just saying that was the... But all of that led to you dismiss them at every point. There was nothing they had to say that any of us needed to hear. And it's, it's why... The privilege continued it's why the dismissing continued if yes. because
3: yeah. speak to it Roger. we Thank found you. another
2: way to silence the voice mm-hmm. to discredit the voice mm-hmm. and it breaks my heart
0: you guys my are getting, getting closer and closer to this. I love it the camera we're all getting closer and closer I, <laughs> I just want to <laughs> tell yeah. you like I had seen the funeral and then I had I said Roger you got to sit down with me and watch Al Sharpton you know because he hadn't seen it yet live you know so, no, we absolutely, that was powerful and we love that. He's just talking about what, you know, all that stuff from our past oh, narrative, yeah. it revealed and it's yeah. like, oh, go ahead,
3: and Here we are.
2: We're, we're <laughs> so woke, right? And... <laughs> we're
0: so woke. Go ahead, Ronald, honey. Go
2: Let me tell
3: home. you what I'm hearing. <laughs> I'm hearing the epitome of privilege and entitlement. Yes. Uh-huh. Because yeah. white privilege, white privilege doesn't want peace. It wants quiet. Yep. That's what Ooh. Reverend Sharpton said. Yeah,
1: yeah.
3: exactly it's what he said. Yeah, it's it truth. wants quiet, not Ooh. peace. Ooh. And anybody that reminds you, reminds mm. white privilege of its responsibility and mm. the fact. See, that's why they hated Muhammad Ali. Mm. And I'm going to say this. I know people are not going to like this. That's why they hate <laughs> Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Ali hated Ali and loved Michael Jordan. Think about Ali Roger, think about Ali Joy Lindsay. Think about what Muhammad Ali meant at the height of his physical ability. Yeah. He said, no, I'm not going to Vietnam. I'm not fighting a war with somebody who did nothing to me. My yeah. war was with you. The Vietnamese didn't do anything to me, but you are the one that, that wants me to go fight in Vietnam and still get in the back of the bus. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: What's this? And the reason they love Michael Jordan, because at the height of his power, Michael Jordan didn't do nothing to help Mm -hmm. speak out anything. Now, today, he gives $100 million. Praise God, he has that to give. Thank you you for that, all right? What we're talking about was when he was at the very height of his powers versus Ali, Abdul-Jabbar, and um, um, uh, Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell and Jim Brown, those guys were not quiet for the sake of peace. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. were protesting professionally. They were um, um, protesting competently. They were Mm -hmm. protesting white privilege and white entitlement. Mm -hmm. Because they were not free in their own country. Mm -hmm. Black folk didn't ask to come here. Black, Black folk were transported here. Yeah. With slave, enslavement. Yeah, let's remember just, that. What you're saying, Roger, is so real because
0: mm-hmm.
3: white privilege does not want peace, it wants quiet. Yeah. Ooh, okay. And we're going to end on that one.
0: Wow. Okay, we're going <laughs> to end on that, and you guys better come back. Nothing gonna...
2: controversial in the next segment, I'm, no, I'm pretty no. sure.
0: Because <laughs> we're going to talk about where to go from here. We're not going to leave you guys hanging. We want to know what to do from here. So come back for episode three.